Listening Dog Media. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes! Oh, yes! The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tires. Hello, this is episode 33 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast, brought to you by Continental Tyres, getting you to the game safely. And it's double trouble this week. We're down to two, and it's not even the regulars, because both Kate Borsay, I say both, actually all of Kate Borsay, Mina Rizuki and Hayley McQueen have left me be this week. It was going to be a podcast with the boys. I'll explain a bit more about that later. Uh, but first, I'll introduce my co-host for the day, uh, Kate Partridge. Thank you for coming and bailing me out, basically. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lindsay. As ever, it's a pleasure to be here and it's lovely to see your new pad. Yes, you're the first person, the first offside ruler to see the renovation project. The downstairs is looking lovely and the upstairs isn't too bad either. You've done very well for yourself. Congratulations, girl. Pat oh, on the back. Thank you very much. I'm going to reveal why it was nearly us and the boys. In fact, you've actually even got your walking gear with you. I've actually, she says, and you can hear the sounds of the unzipping there, uh, about to reveal my T-shirt to nobody in particular as it's radio, so I can show Lindsay here. I actually have my promotional T-shirt on to promote my website. And I thought this was going to be blazoned all the way across Jeff's half marathon and his marathons across the southeast. But no, it's just going to be Lindsay's living room that sees my T-shirt, alas. Yeah, no half marathons, marathons for Jeff Stelling. It's all in aid of Prostate Cancer UK and we were going to go and meet him for his eighth marathon. He's doing ten, all in aid of the charity. We're going to go and walk along with Max Rushton, Paul Merson, Jeff, talk a bit about the cause, have some time with the boys, seeing as the girls have all abandoned us, which would have been the first time on the offside rule it would have been boy-dominated. But that's not to be just due to unforeseen circumstances. However, as soon as you were hoping that this T-shirt of yours was going to get a nice plug, you can plug the website. <laughs> How about that? I'll do that instead. Thank you very much. Yes, to plug my website, it's www.reversetimemachine.co.uk. Yours truly is not only a sports presenter occasionally and every now and then a reporter, but I'm also a personal trainer and fitness coach and also I specialise in anti-ageing. So there you go. How good a plug is that, Lynn? So I've plugged myself very well. Here's what we've got coming up. Harry Redknapp, he's turned up in Jordan of all places. The country, I would like to add, just in case anybody else has any other 
preconceptions about what that might mean. You're referring to a former Page 3 model, are you? Well, yeah, he has turned up in Jordan. It's inspired our third topic that we'll come to, which is giving examples of other managers that have turned up in unexpected places, managing countries that maybe we didn't even really know how to pronounce. <laughs> it could be the case. So we'll talk about that. We'll have unfriendly friendlies as our second. I have to say, England, Germany always has got fierce rivalry to it, whether it's attached to a competitive match or a friendly game. I have to say, probably the best friendly from an England point of view we've seen yeah, for a yeah. long time. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, so that's topic number two. We're going to talk about other unfriendly friendlies. But we're going to start off talking about players who've caught the eye in the recent international friendlies. We're going to pick one from the home nations and one from elsewhere. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football. I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I definitely prefer this. So before we get started with these players who have caught the eye, let's talk about England for a second, because that England-Germany game has really whet the appetite for many fans now, saying just roll on the Euros. What a lovely team it was to watch. Mm -hmm. We were dynamic. We were inventive. I mean, we actually had the Germans on the back foot. Yeah. It was brilliant to see. So I think it would be quite obvious for us to pick out England players as ones to watch and keep an eye on. So I'm going to take that and remove it from the topic. But let's have a little chat about who did impress. I know that a certain Spurs man impressed you no end. I have to say, and I think it was the view of everybody, particularly all the pundits and, and also former players as well. And quite frankly, Deli Ali was amazing, wasn't he? The 19-year-old, he got nine out of 10 when it came to all the marks that were given at the end. In fact, I think the only blur that there was in the whole match is when he missed that goal at the end, wasn't it? You're thinking, oh God, is it going to be another one? But then of course we went on and won. Well, I think that's where he dropped his one mark. I actually was very impressed. I have been impressed with him all season. I'm glad that he's shining within the England setup as much as he is at Spurs. And I think it helps having the Spurs players around him. I'm going to pick out Eric Dyer. Mm. I thought he had a fantastic game. Not only did he score the winning goal, I'm not picking him for that reason. I thought he was solid throughout. I think he's the sort of player, that holding player, that gives some calmness to England, mm. that sometimes we can be a bit frantic and lose the ball too much. And I think he enables us to hold on to it. And I'm really excited about how he grows within this squad. I think you can also tell that he's played in Spain, albeit, you know, probably it was briefly, but there's also, as you say, that almost, that maturity that comes long before the, you'd obviously expect that kind of player to do so well. I think I have to say the credit, and a lot of people have said this, has to go to Mauricio Pochettino, and also because it was very much a kind of Spurs-Leicester sort of duopoly, wasn't it, about how well England had played, but how well Tottenham have done under his coaching. It was kind of poch for England, really, wasn't it, in terms of the impact that they had on the game and also in terms of going forward. But then, of course, that brings the dilemma, which has obviously followed on, what do we do with Wayne Rooney? Well, that seems to be the poll that's going round is, does Wayne Rooney make the squad? We'll talk about that another time. I think there's always been an issue with Roy about loyalty, hasn't it? And mm. I don't think, personally, I don't think loyalty has any part to play when it comes to winning because I think you have to go with momentum and the winning team. If, you, if you're listening around, particularly to former players and their particular pundit point of view, they're all saying momentum is the way forward. And not only that, you're carrying almost the will of the nation with you, aren't you? Mm. For once, we're all excited. In a way, I was really disappointed after the Germany game and I'll tell you why, because I was thinking, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. We're going to go on and win the Euros. Mm. Oh! 
God, I've said it now. We're going to win the Euros. And it gives you that kind of sense of false optimism. And you don't want it to be false optimism. You want us to go on and win. We want the dynamic team. We want to be able to have the extra options of those players that are also coming back. But it's our opportunity. It's our time. We beat the world champions. All right, it's a friendly. It's their own backyard. But come on. Oh, I'm going to bring you crashing back down to earth. <laughs> I do not for a second think that we're going to win the Euros. But you know what? I don't care. If what? we turn in performances like that, I will enjoy watching us at the Euros and we will get further than what we have at previous World Cups and European Championships and European anyway. Re- our European record has always been dreadful. My only query, just to come back to Rooney, and only is a small point, is tournament records. I actually want us to start up a whole new generation. We've talked so much in the past about golden generations. We've always had golden generations. We've had so many retrospective programmes, be they on radio and television lately, about the golden generation and we didn't quite get there. What about the silver generation coming through, the new generation coming through? Let's start with a clean slate. Let's start scoring in tournaments. Let's get rid of some of the nil-nils. Let's get rid of Algeria. Let's get rid of the memories of what was past. Let's go forward. Let's go with form. Let's go with momentum. Let's stick with what we had. It was exciting. And the English nation are behind them. And a final word as I'm licking my lips. I did have breakfast quite recently, but it's not that. It's the Jamie Vardy goal. Oh, Oh, lovely. We will go on to the home nations now. I just want to um, start with the player that we've picked from the other home nations uh, who's caught our eye. I'm going to start us off, actually, because... Joe Allen has caught my eye for Liverpool in the Premier League. And I think part of this is his form that he's been showing for Wales. He's been brilliant in a Wales shirt. And in the last international friendly, yes, Wales lost and they lost by one goal to Ukraine. But his performance was particularly calm, considered, cool. All the things that he's starting to exude. He's got an authority about him that he plays with now as well, which I think Chris Coleman's really recognising and Jurgen Klopp as a result. They have lost that final game before going to the Euro finals which is a shame for Wales it would have been good for them to go in but he did help control that midfield and I think his form's really benefiting from having this international stage and I'm quite excited about him I thought at one point he might be a player that was shown the exit door at Liverpool but I think he'll stay I do think he'll stay there and also you have to remember about Wales as well as they were under strength weren't they yeah. it was an under strength squad and to, to lose only 1-0 and right at the end they were pressing I mean it was Yarmolenka's goal wasn't it that was just the difference I mean Wales were really going for it at the end and Chris Coleman was disappointed but doesn't that say a lot about the standard of the whole of the home nations team going forward in the fact that we're all looking optimistically, we're looking to win. And I think there's been a flip in mentality. I was looking at the home nations as well, as you said, and going forward for me, Northern Ireland are exciting. And the reason they're exciting is not only have they gone 10 games unbeaten, they've set this new record under Michael O'Neill. But for me, you, you can't really pick out a star player because they have several, because they are going forward as a team. Connor Washington, QPR, home day, but he scores. Fantastic. Before that, Craig Cathcart, he's coming as well, deputising for Johnny Evans, who plays for West Brom. I just thought I'd throw that one in, by the way. But he scored a couple of goals as well. So generally, they're gelling together. Stephen Davis has been momentous while they'll be going forward in qualification. Northern Ireland, I mean, I've been listening to Colin Murray, as you can imagine, on TalkSport, waxing little about Northern Ireland, and it's been really exciting. But they're gelling together as a team, individuals coming through, stepping forward while they have, and Stephen Davis leading the way. Fantastic. I'm going to say something rather controversial here (laughs) and hope that I don't upset the Northern Ireland contingency. I mean it in the best way possible. But you talked about having them having lots of star players. I would disagree and say there aren't any star players. They're all mediocre players who are good players, but none of them are world beaters, but they are playing collectively. Exactly. That's the whole point. Everybody's playing together as a team. And as I'm saying, it's that whole idea of collectivism in terms of the fans, the mentality, the managers, everybody going forward. I think it's great. I mean, in terms of the 
group that they'll be in, look at the teams they're facing. They're facing Poland, Ukraine and Germany. You've got to be able to say, as you say, play together as a team if you're going to face that kind of opposition. But it was interesting in terms of seeing Ukraine yesterday as they took on the Welsh. So you know the kind of opposition that they'll be looking to play. Well, away from the home nations... I've got a little off topic in terms of it is part of the international friendlies. Uh, you're just going to presume, I, I imagine, that I'm going to go for a senior player. I'm not. I've gone for an under-21s player and I'll tell you why. Italy's goalkeeper um, in the under-21s uh, was Gianluigi Donnarumma. Now, Donnarumma is only 17 years old. I'm sure with your Serie A knowledge, as with Mina, you'll know already that at AC Milan, he's become a regular. Um, there was an injury to Diego Lopez. It saw him installed permanently as uh, AC Milan's number one. Just 17 years old. His performances are getting better and better. And he is really a goalkeeper to look out for on the worldwide stage. I believe Manchester United and Chelsea are both monitoring what's going on ahead of the summer. Now, in the latest round of, of international friendlies, playing for the under-21s, they played against Republic of Ireland uh, last week. He was the became the youngest player ever to play for the Italy under-21s, starting. Impressive 4-1 um, win as well, produced some great saves. And I feel that he is one to watch. Going into these Euros, he might not be number one starting Italy keeper, but I believe he'll have some game time. And certainly for future tournaments, he's going to be huge. I think it's interesting that you pick a goalkeeper in terms of all the incidents that have happened to goalkeepers mm. lately and how much under the spotlight they've become. You've got before obviously setting records, you know, and always has done, and he's always been the star, particularly in Italy. So interesting that you pick up on another, yeah. you know, the, you know the uh, the new boy on the block coming forward in the in the Italian team. I'm going to sticking with the Northern Ireland group. I'm going to look at Poland because when you think of Poland, I think that you automatically think of Robert Lewandowski. I mean, Robert Lewandowski's record is absolutely phenomenal for club and country. Bayern Munich, 42 goals in 56 seven appearances, 34 goals in 75 appearances. Blimey, Robert, you're slipping there. That's nothing like as good mm -hmm. for Poland. Incredible. But the Poles, they're looking pretty good. They've only lost in the last two years one match, which was 3-1 to Germany. In fact, the last one they did lose was actually to Scotland. But the Poles, they absolutely thrashed Finland 5-0. And a player that I want to pick up on is Kamil Grzycki. And the reason I want to pick up on him is also because he plays for Rennes. We all know that Liga, the French League has been won by PSG in about 1992. You know, they're kind of carting off with it. So maybe making the title a bit of a boring run. But in terms of Europe, Europe's become really exciting because you've got all the other teams pushing forward. And Grzycki plays for Rennes and Rennes a fifth. They're just a point behind Lyon, so they're going for that European place. So to see another striker coming through, he's got eight goals for Rennes this season, going forward, scoring the goals for Poland as well. We've always known about, as I say, Lewandowski and Wojciechowski, all those other great players. But Poland going forward, I think they're going to be exciting. I was at the Euros for Poland and Ukraine. I was doing the Ukrainian side of the, of the gig, whereas my other colleague at the time was doing Poland. And he was saying, you know, this team has really got some promise going forward. Let's see how they progress. And the Eastern European contingent from, as I say, my time in Russia, coming forward, watching them come through and looking at European teams, the Eastern European teams at the Euros, I think will be an interesting one. But I'm keeping my eye on Poland and particularly Lewandowski in light of the fact that it's where does he go next? Well, get thinking of your unfriendly friendlies. I'm going to give you some time to think about that because we're going to throw over to Sue Smith, who's got her first WSL roundup of the brand new season. I have to say that the game, Chelsea Ladies against Liverpool, I was meant to be covering on Easter Monday, got called off. It was that awful weather. I'm going to blame you partly because it was Storm, Storm Kate, Kate. <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, thankfully, there were other matches that did go ahead. Here's Sue with a roundup. The female take on football. Hello, everyone. I'm back with my weekly WSL roundup. 
Well, it's been an exciting start to the season with penalties, missed penalties and a postponement that even happens in there in the Summer League. There's also been a sending off and some very good goals as well. OK, starting with last year's champions, Chelsea. Unfortunately for me and my Doncaster Bells teammates, they have started as they finished last season very strongly. They beat us convincingly 4-1 and the strength and depth of the team is unreal. On the 70th minute when Gemma Davidson and Frank Kirby are coming off the bench, you know they have a top-class squad. OK, moving on to Man City. They have started very well, beating Notts County 1-0 and then 10-player Arsenal 2-0 on Sunday. But what have been really impressed with City is how they keep the ball. Their movement and creativity is, is really good to watch. And if they can score half of the amount of chances that they create, this team will be unstoppable. OK, moving on to Arsenal. They have made some excellent signings in the off-season. Farrah Williams and Oshuala from Liverpool. And last week, capturing Jodie Taylor, who for me will be an excellent addition. My only concern with Chelsea and Arsenal is how are you going to keep all of those quality players happy? It's a luxury that's nice to have, but for me as a player, I want to play every single game and these players will have to buy into that squad rotation. Arsenal won their first game to Reading, but then they were beaten by City at the weekend. They did have to play the majority of the game with 10 players, but for me, they're still going to be there about come the end of the season. Liverpool lost a lot of players in the off-season, but also brought a lot of new players in who seem to be very good players. And it's just a case of how long will they take to gel. In their last game against Birmingham, they managed to win 1-0. So we'll see how the season goes for them. Not to county under Rick Passmore, they're always going to be a threat. They're always well-organised and difficult to break down. But losing to Man City in the 93rd minute really knocked them. But I'm sure they'll be back. There's no doubt about that. Ourselves and Reading, we're going to be hoping to do what Sunderland did last year and take the league by storm. Both have turned pretty much full-time, apart from just a few players, and that's going to make a massive difference when you're having to compete fitness-wise with some of the big clubs. Reading did get a good point against Sunderland at the weekend in absolutely horrific conditions. And last but not least, how are Birmingham going to cope with the, without their queen of Birmingham, Kaz Carney? We'll see as the season progresses. But I think for me, this could be the best season yet. Let's hope so. Thanks very much, Sue. I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Next, we move on to unfriendly friendlies. <laughs> we always will think of England-Germany and the old rivalry. We've had this friendly recently. It's inspired us to think about other ones. Um, I think both of us have got England involved. Why do we have so many enemies, Kate? I think it's because down to the empire. That was my, Whenever there was a problem in the world, my grandmother was blamed the empire, you know, and I think people can always come back and say that. And on that particular note, let's go to an England game, but it was in Ireland. And unfriendliest to friendlies, we're referring back to 1995. Good grief, Lynn, are we so old I can remember this? 1995, oh dear, oh dear, at Lansdowne Road. I was 13. But can you remember it, Linz? You know what, I'm gonna, you're going to have to talk me through it. I think I do. If you don't remember it, you might remember the picture of a young boy called James Eager, who was the, the Young Ireland fan, who was on the pitch holding his scarf and crying as all the violence erupted around him. Can you remember that? Well, I remember the violence. I don't remember the little boy particularly, but I remember it being a scary affair. Yes, it was all down to the upper tier. What had happened was you, you had some of the England fans going over to Ireland at Lansdowne Road and you had Combat 18. You had the far right group 
group had effectively sort of managed to get in amongst the fans. And you had eight English-born players playing for Ireland. And one of them, after 21 minutes, scored, which was David Kelly. And then the violence erupted on the upper tier. And the England fans started to tear out seats and started throwing down, raining down sort of debris and chairs and anything else they could find on the Ireland fans underneath. And the way that they managed to get away from it was getting onto the pitch. And this young lad, James Eager, ran out onto the pitch with his dad, Seamus, and they were standing there looking back on the pitch at all the debris, all the chairs, all, all the everything that was happening around them, thinking we managed to get away. And, and it looked really sad. The pictures were terrible. Anyway, they interviewed young James afterwards and his dad and they said to Seamus, you know, you've been to many Ireland matches before, Seamus. Has this put you off ever going to any matches again? And he said, oh, no, he said, Giovanni Trapattoni did that one for me. So at least he managed to, you know, have a laugh at the end of it. But very, but very sad scenes. But yes, probably the unfriendliest of friendly in my living memory anyway. I think certainly that was a harrowing experience for, for all involved. My unfriendly friendly was friendlier than it used to be. <laughs> But probably the best friendly in my memory that I've ever been to, and I happened to be oh, there, yes. it was at Wembley in 2013, mm -hmm. England versus Scotland. And I remember, oh, yes. remember vividly walking up Wembley Way and there were so many Scots that had come down for this game because there hadn't been a match between England and Scotland for some time. Of course, there was rivalry, but it was all in good nature. Even when it came to the national anthems that were getting interrupted, and that's when you always know that a friendly is going to go well when you can't even get through the, your, your actual <laughs> national, national anthem. Anthems, yes. But I actually felt that even with that... It was just the atmosphere was electric. It was setting the tone for the game. Not only did it go on to be a fantastic match, very competitive, England winning 3-2, but the things that I loved about it was a friendly is usually a different sort of pace of football, isn't it? It's like a testimonial, isn't it? You Nobody ever really puts those crunching tackles in. Nobody really gives that 100%. It's kind of 90% maximum. So when it's a, the unfriendliest friendly, they're actually normally great matches, aren't they? Well, that is exactly what happened. The pace of the game was very fast. I thought, wow, I can't believe this is a friendly because usually you see people knocking it about, having time on the ball, thinking a little bit more. That wasn't happening. And the tackles that you mentioned were crunching. They were meaty, to say the least. <laughs> I loved watching it because I'm one of those advocates of the old-fashioned, as long as you tackle properly, tackle, get in. <laughs> Ricky Lambert, I am going to come back to this, I go on about it. If Kate was here, she'd be like, oh, my life, she's off again. But everyone will remember, and it's like Ricky Lambert scored, you know, the beetroot maker came, uh, <laughs> got his first touch. It wasn't his first touch, so I'm going to stand corrected on that. I was there, I watched him have a touch of the ball before he scored. So all the media that reported that it was his first touch, it wasn't his first touch, but however, it was just as memorable for him scoring anyway. Um, and it was great to see. Um, also, it was pouring with rain. England versus Scotland, of course it was going to be. I thought the weather was very fitting. And all round, I just loved everything about it as a friendly. It was my favourite. I don't usually like watching friendlies. England versus Germany last week was an exception. I thought it was fantastic. But usually I just look out for the results because I never think that they're really worth watching. That would be a standout one for me. And it's one of those where I'm really privileged to say, I was there and I saw it. Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get In. There's only one of us.
Well, KP, thank you for keeping me company. Before we move on to our final topic, just another mention. I'm wondering now, as we're recording this on Tuesday, and Jeff Stelling, Paul Merson, Max Rushton, they're putting in the hard miles. Jeff more than most because he's doing these 10 marathons in aid of prostate cancer UK. They'll be getting towards Milton Keynes or for their pit stop there between <laughs> Northampton and Milton Keynes, which is where we were going to go and join them. What a wonderful thing it is that they're doing this. And I like the idea of reaching Wembley and doing it that way. Yeah, fantastic thing that they're doing. So please donate. It's all up on the website. Yeah. Yes, um, look for Prostate Cancer UK and uh, we'll also be tweeting some bits from there as well and retweeting. I'm sure Max will take some pictures today and we'll get those out as well. But keep up the good work. I absolutely would have loved to have gone and done a little chat with the boys. I think the offside rule, we get it, has always been about it's all women talking about football, having opinions, but wouldn't it have been good to have gone and got the boys on board for one? We'll, we'll have to do that still. Well, it goes from being three girls on the offside rule to three boys on the onside rule, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in a way because I actually have my trainers here ready. I think I'll tweet out a picture of my trainers just to prove that my feet were ready to do a bit of walking. But uh, it's quite nice to be in the living room, I have to say. We're nice and cosy and we won't rub that in too much. Managers then who have gone on to manage in countries where you're thinking they must be paying a bub or two. (laughs) What would the other reason be to go to Uzbekistan? I'll come to that one. (laughs) Let's just think about this. We can have a bit of a round robin chat on this and if you've got any sort of backup as to how good they were in those roles. But I, I suppose we start with Harry Redknapp in Jordan there was this very funny interview that saw the light of day where I'm wondering how he's going to get on there. He's a very English manager, isn't he? I mean, he's old school, Harry Redknapp. How's he going to communicate in, in Jordan? <laughs> Yeah. Which language do they speak in Jordan, Harry? Yeah, I, I've got to say, I, I think it's quite a brave move as well. I mean, you know, Harry's not exactly a, a young man, is he? But to go off to a warm country, I think, is it a strange move? I mean, is it something that you would do in later in life? Would you ever consider going somewhere like that, Linz, for your job? To present the Jordan news <laughs> or Jordan sports news? I don't think so. There, there are only certain countries that I would ever go to, actually, for working purposes. And you've been and, and worked and lived in Russia, and that's a place I could never work. I've got to say, I absolutely loved it. I spent four and a half years in Russia. And I think it had to be one of the times of my life. I thought it was amazing. And when it comes to managers, let's talk about Russia, actually, because probably the most famous of them all was Fabio Capello. And I can remember when they appointed Fabio Capello on the 26th of July 2012. He replaced the inimitable Dick Advocate, the little general. It was quite incredible. Like, Dick has gone. You know, now we have Don Fabio. And he came in with an incredible record. I mean, all the things that he'd done in Spain, all the things that he'd done in Italy. And the kind of remit was to get, you know, Russia to the 2014 World Cup. And they topped Group F. It was all amazing. I think I went through most of the matches. And then, of course, they go through to the World Cup and they end up drawing 1-1 with Algeria and they go out, which is kind of a great disappointment for the Russians. But no, they keep him on for the Euros. Actually, we're going to keep him on to the World Cup in 2018. They were hosting it. By goodness, yes, I'm looking forward to going back. But Fabio Capello didn't last until 2018. He lasted until 2016. Did his six-game wonder of two wins, two losses, two draws, lost to Austria and got sacked. And then, of course, so that was the end of Don Fabio. But I think... There was a subplot to this because Fabio Capello, as most people know now, I probably think, he's a great art collector. I don't think everyone does know this. I think it's a a little known fact by some quarters, but incredible to know that he's very, very into his art. Oh, not only into his art, he has a collection worth about £10 million. And one of his favourite artists is a guy called Vasily Kandinsky, who happens to be Russian. And I think that the opportunity to come wandering over to Russia and and have a look at some of the collections and also to occasionally turn up to a football match as well was probably 
probably at the back of his mind if he's a connoisseur of all things uh, Russian. What better place to go? Well, someone needs to verify this, look into whether he shipped out any big masterpieces <laughs> whilst he was there. Oh, Linz, you should know better than that. Good grief, you've been to Russia, you know what it's like. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. You wouldn't find out, would you? Well, let's bring up a, an obvious one then. Roy Hodgson, an, an obvious name because we know as current England manager, he was very successful with Switzerland. Everyone will think about that one because he actually got them. At one point, they were ranked by FIFA as third best team in the world under Roy Hodgson. Yes, but FIFA rankings. I mean, there's been, there's been a few weird and wonderful ones because it also depends how often you play as well. I think when Brazil were due to host the World Cup, they went down to about 24th in the world, didn't they? Mind you, on the other hand, that was quite prescient, wasn't it? <laughs> this is true, and I take your point there. But still, to, to even get that sort of recognition. But I'm not going to bring up the fact that he, he managed Switzerland. It's the fact that he managed not only the United Arab Emirates, which he did in 2002 to 2004, really tried to bring them on, um, failed to do so, really. I I don't think it was equipped to, to be. I don't think that was anything to do with Roy Hodgson's fault. Harry Redknapp, beware. Oh, yeah, beware. I, th- I think there's still a lot to do over, over in the Middle East with football. But an interesting one, and the one that I wanted to talk about was Finland. Mm. Because people forget that he had that year in Finland, 2006 to 2007. And actually, it was his call not to continue. He was really praised for the defence, but he was criticised quite a lot for the attacking sort of football. But I think he'd shown that he could get a team organised and they were willing to give him some more time, but he, he opted to come out. But people forget that, don't they, Finland? Yeah, I wonder how much he was actually getting paid to go to Finland. It's quite interesting because if you look at Fabio Capello, he was on an incredible amount to manage the Russian team because if you think about all the oligarchs who are looking after the Russian interests in terms of football and sport and everything else, I mean, money, art, Russia, what an opportunity. So Finland, what were, what probably was the incentive there? Was it purely football? Well, what I would say is there are certain managers, you've mentioned one of them, Capello, I'm going to mention another in a moment, that I believe you track their CV and their history and you can tell why they've moved to certain (laughs) jobs and it's usually to do with the book. I don't think that's the case with Roy Hodgson. I think he went through a little tricky period. There have there, there been highs in his career, like Fulham, and there have been lows in his career, like... West Bromwich Albion. <laughs> no, I have to say, that is not true. Yes, I mean, I knew you set me up for that one, being a Wolves fan. We have to throw that in, don't we, of course. But no, 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 he was fantastic at West Brom. I mean, I think from West Bromwich Albion, you'll find that he went to... Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool would, would be more of a disaster. But and, and he has had that. He's had that scattering of what I would call success and, and maybe not being massively unsuccessful, but just not really hitting the heights. So I think there were these moments throughout his managerial career where he took jobs because of his love of football. I hope I'm right in that assessment. Who else have you got? The one that I have to pick up on, I think everybody's heard of this one, is Peter Reid at Thailand. I just think this is a fantastic gig. He went out there in September 2008 and... and you know, ostensibly on a four-year deal, which actually lasted about 11 months. He went out for a year in Thailand. He said that he didn't know anything about Thai football and that he didn't call the Thai players by their names, but by their squad numbers instead. So I think he was probably struggling a bit with the native tongue out there with Peter. He went into one tournament called the TNT Cup, and that was in Vietnam, and they beat North Korea and drew Vietnam to win the TNT Cup. So as well as going out on a four-year deal, he left by mutual consent a year later and went off to be the assistant manager at Stoke. So he's gone from Thailand to Stoke. So you know what they say about a wet Tuesday evening in Stoke? Well, Peter Reid would certainly know, having gone from lovely balmy temperatures. 
He would. Uh, Thailand's a nice link, actually, because although not the national team, Sven Joran Eriksson managed a club in Thailand. This is my other manager that's going for the book, by the way, if you hadn't worked it out already. <laughs> and I have to just point out that Didi Herman did an autobiography. And in his book, he mentions about how Sven Joran Eriksson wanted to live in Thailand with two women. <laughs> and that he thinks that he's going to, he thinks he's actually going to retire in Thailand with two women, which would be very Sven, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? I've got to say, he's a bit of an old smoothie. I love the fact that whenever you you go through the newspaper articles now, they tend to compare him and call him the Swedish James Bond. God bless Ben. I mean, he's in Shanghai now. I think I wonder what he's doing out there. I think Daniel Craig might have something to say about that one. Uh, let's talk about two countries that he went on to be national manager of. So there was Mexico in 2008-2009. He went there with a mission to try and get the football improving. People, again, similar to Roy Hodgson, said he got them more organised. But he only won one of his last seven um, non-friendly matches before he was shown the door. <laughs> so he, he didn't really bring them the success that they wanted. Had another go, 2010, Ivory Coast. I actually had to remind myself of his time there because it, it just went by, as does a lot of Sven's career. Um, yeah, he failed to qualify for the knockout stages of the 2010 World Cup with them and that just wasn't deemed good enough. I, I think Sven, he takes on these jobs because of the money. And sometimes I wonder whether he would have been better to have held out because underneath there, somewhere, there is a good manager. There is a good manager. Yeah, he was particularly successful in Sweden, wasn't he? Mm. I think you look at some of the other managers that have sort of do the rounds. I think they all do. It's a bit like being a freelance journalist, isn't it? You sort of do the jobs that give you some money, then you're waiting to, to hit the job that you kind of really want to do. But you look at some of the managers. The famous one I always think of is Leo Bainhofer, who's Dutch but has been absolutely everywhere. The man has managed Real Madrid, but he's also managed Saudi Arabia and he's 73 now and he's man, the man who's famously spends his time going around managing and smoking cigars. So he's Don Leo, exactly the same as it was Don Fabio. And these men are always finding jobs, 73 and still working. That's incredible, isn't it? It is. It seems to be the, the sort of job that you can go on and on and on in. Um, thank you very much for joining me and thanks for keeping me company. Otherwise, I'd be here sat on my Todd in my living room um, <laughs> just talking for 30 minutes about football, which I could have done, but I'm sure our audience have benefited from having your wise words uh, of input. Thank you so much for joining me. A pleasure as ever. I love doing this. Thank you very much. Yes, it's great to have you on. So you can go to offsiderulepodcast.com, devour some more articles there. We have fresh content going up every single day. And at the moment, we've got a few competitions that you can look out for as well, uh, running across at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and our Facebook page, the Offside Rule Podcast, um, including shirts to be given away from WSL teams. We just want some involvement from you. Go and see how to win. We'll be back next week. Bye. The offside rule we get it is brought to you by Continental Tires. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.